Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Because we find ourselves not only to be complaining against our circumstances, not only against the imperfect leadership or bosses that we all have to serve under, but we find ourselves to be complaining against who? The Lord himself. And how often, right, it is rationalized in thinking that we know better. When more often than not, okay, it's just because we want things our own way. There is beauty in the person who can find good or the Lord's will in any situation. Even Christians often struggle with this, as complaints can fill the mouths of all of us. Today, Pastor Jim speaks on the importance, as children of God, in finding joy in all circumstances. He challenges listeners with the thought that when you are complaining about a situation in your life, you are complaining to God about His provision for your life. Be a light to those around you today by finding joy even when it seems lost. With this in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part one of his message entitled, Joyful Children. Christianity holds out the greatest promises you could ever, ever want in your life, and it holds out the absolute greatest promise ever, that when anyone turns to God, puts their trust in Jesus Christ, that they become, at that point, a child of God. God becomes their heavenly father, and that includes being adopted into what we call the the family of God. And any family that wants to do well, and I hope if you have a family, you hope that I hope that you want to do well, any family that wants to prosper, prosper not necessarily in the way Americans think of it, just with money, but but prospering in overall spiritual well-being. If you want to prosper in that way, a family needs to get along. We need to get along in our dad's house. We need to get along in our father's world. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. It's about 30 years after Jesus has risen from the dead, crucified, risen, and ascended into heaven. He founded this church about 10 years ago. And we've been saying in our studies that the Philippian church is probably in many ways like our church. There's a lot of really good stuff happening. It's not a bad church. There's not a lot of fighting. There's not a lot of, you know, stuff that's going on that you would say, oh, I can't stand being around those people. But yet the Lord would want more for this church. And he's beginning to show them some of the things that some, if you will, uh, cracks in the foundation or some things that need to happen in the Philippian church for the Lord to do more. And one of the things that has happened in this letter, and it's often called the letter of joy, the apostle writing from jail, things in his life not going well, but yet he's got the joy of Jesus Christ in his heart. And one of the things that he's been telling us is that a goal of our heavenly father is that we work together for the gospel, for the, for the message of Jesus Christ that someone can become 
a child of God uh, by trusting in Jesus, and also the maturity of Christians so they get to know this heavenly Father, their Savior, better. And one of the words that the Bible uses in our pursuit of that collectively as a group of people is the word unity. So the Lord wants the people in the church to be unified. Many of us grew up in an environment where you sort of come into church right when the thing is starting, and then you rush out to the parking lot as quick as possible when it's over. And that is not the church of the Bible. That is not the church of Jesus and the apostles. Rather, the idea of the church in the Bible is a unified family working under the Lord Jesus Christ, serving together under the Lord Jesus Christ in the things that are important to God. And so the Lord wants us to be, the title of this morning's message, Joyful Children, Joyful Children Working Together for the Good News of the Gospel to tell a world that particularly where we live, people simply just don't know. They simply just don't know. Turn to John 17. We're going back about 30 years. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus is praying. Now, to me, amazing that we get to hear Jesus praying to God the night before he goes to the cross. So I kind of want to be like, all right, everybody quiet down, settle down, stop fumbling with your, with your pages and your phones and all this kind of stuff, and let's just, just listen up. If you were going to be crucified the next day, what would you pray? Beam me up, Scotty, right? <laughs> Get me out of this place. Please, I don't want any of this to happen. It's absolutely, to me, breathtaking, some of the things that Jesus prays for. Let's pick up John 17 and verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone talking about the apostles, but also for those who will believe. The word believe in the Bible is probably more similar to our idea of the word trust, but for those who will believe or trust in me through their word. Now, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there you are, you're in the Bible. Jesus says, I'm praying that the people who come to trust in me through the word of the apostle, which we have in written form in the Bible, he's praying for those people. Verse 21, what is he praying for us? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. Well, what's one of the byproducts of that? That the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me. Now look at this, that they may be made perfect in one and notice this, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So think of all the important stuff that Jesus could be praying for and he prays for our unity. That we, as a church here, a local church, part of the larger body of Christ, would be one. And then he says, really, that our visible unity would actually preach the gospel. That the way we interact with one another would actually serve as a motivation for some people to want to know more, to want to learn more, to want to hear more, and actually our love, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, that this unity, that this love would actually serve as a motivation for people to turn to God and put their trust 
in Jesus Christ. So Christian friend, if you want your life to make a difference, if you want our church to make a difference, here we are. It's right here. It's right out in front of us. And simply what we need to do is three things. We need to listen. We need to learn. But then the third is the hardest. We need to live it. It's very easy to listen to the Bible. It's very easy to learn it and think we did it. Trust me, it's even harder when you're a preacher boy, right? Because you think, well, I know it. I preached it. I did it, right? And, and think that you did it when in reality you didn't. And here he gets much more specific with the Philippian church by extension any church, any Christian that would read this in the future. If you're taking notes, we want to note three different things this morning about joyful children. Number one, joyful children serve together. Joyful children serve together. Now, before we go on to what you're about to hear, you have to really appreciate for me for turning this to be a positive because verse 14 is actually probably one of the hardest verses in the New Testament, particularly for an American Very, very hard. Okay, here we go. Do, verse 14, do, that means what? Active. Do all things. How many things? All things. How many things are accepted to that? None. Do all things. It didn't say without complaining in your Bible, does it? Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh my, (laughs) I got a complaint about that. Some of your versions say, do everything without grumbling and arguing. I love the word grumbling. It's like the word murmur. You just murmur, 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 grumble, 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 grumble. Like, I just love the sound of that. And you say, how in the world could that possibly be written there? Well, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, okay? So without God's help, we can't do it. Uh, Listen to uh, Bible scholar and linguistic expert, Kenneth Wiest. Listen to the way he translates verse 14. He says, All things be constantly doing without discontented and secret mutterings (laughs) and grumblings and without discussions which carry an undertone of suspicion or doubt. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) I'm saying, don't you sit around and talk with one another, right? Muttering. Well, look at this, with an undertone of suspicion. Like, you know why they're telling us to do this? You know why? This is why, like the, some agenda that other people have. So part of our working out our salvation with fear and trembling is to do, which means to how we live our life, how we, how we serve in the church, how we serve out, outside in our workplace, etc. We are to do all things without complaining, without complaining. And so the Apostle Paul calls us to look deep on the inside and ask ourselves, number one, am I serving? Because some people might have to say, I'm not, I haven't even started. Again, remember, when the Bible makes us feel guilty, it's because God wants us to what? Repent and through the power of the Holy Spirit to change. Am I serving? And if so, if I am serving, how I'm serving matters. Am I doing it grudgingly 
or am I doing it with joy? You probably heard the story of somebody told a you know, little boy was standing up and the, finally the teacher said, sit down. The kid sat down. They said, thank you. And he goes, I'm still standing in my heart. Okay. So that's what it is. That's what's how am I actually going about my serving God? Now, if the apostle Paul was from New York or New Jersey, I like to think of what it would be like. Well, I do my own translations about what it would be like. And so I translate it this way. Yo, stop complaining and get off your tail. I had to clean that one up a little. And get to work. It's for Jesus, bro. I'd love to hear how people doing translations would translate that. Now, some people would say, well, then if I can't serve with joy, I'm not going to (laughs) serve. What a cop out that is, right? Listen to 1 Peter 4.9, the apostle Peter says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So command, be hospitable. How do we do it? Without grumbling. One Bible commentator translates that verse like this, be hospitable to one another without wishing you didn't have to be hospitable. (laughs) Like, I'm serving you. (laughs) Table manners. (laughs) So we are to serve, being thankful that we have the opportunity to serve. Now this complaining idea is a massive biblical theme. Now some of you might say, no, it's important to you, Pastor Jim. It's not important in the Bible. Does anybody remember what happened with the people of God in the wilderness with Moses? What characterized them? Complaining, grumbling, murmuring. It was the constant complaining that was eventually their downfall. And God wants us to know this is a serious sin because we find ourselves not only to be complaining against our circumstances, not only against the imperfect leadership or bosses that we all have to serve under, but we find ourselves to be complaining against who? The Lord himself. And how often, right, it is rationalized in thinking that we know better. When more often than not, okay, it's just because we want things our own way. What happened to the children of God in the wilderness? Well, they wandered for 40 years because of all their complaining. Only two of them, and there was estimated two to three million, only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. And when they came to the cusp of the promised land early on, they were the only two who didn't complain. And God actually killed some of them for their complaining. So I think the Apostle Paul is teaching us here, don't presume just because you're a Christian, just because I'm a Christian, just because I'm saved, that it's okay to complain, but rather take measures to stop our complaining. You say, why is this so important in addition to complaining against God? Well, because complaining crushes your joy. Have you noticed that? When you're just ranting and raving and complaining about everything, are you really experiencing the joy of the Lord? Not at all. What does complaining do to unity? Complaining crushes unity. It destroys it. Complaining is a huge waste of everybody's time, isn't it? How much of your time in either your ministry or your job or your family do you spend dealing with complaining? How much time? Terrible. 
And actually, when we're complaining, we'll actually find ourselves, unbeknownst to us, working against God. And in the church, how often complaining is masked with pious talk. Oh, oh, brother, brother. Just trying to cover for our own personal agendas or promote our self-interests. How often is complaining used as just an excuse not to serve God? Well, I would serve God if they blank. How often is complaining used as an excuse not to give to something and say, I would give if blank. You say, why are you so passionate about this? Well, um, I'm very blessed in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that I'm blessed is uh, before I went into the ministry, I was a trucking company dispatcher for many years, and I realized that people are never happy. They're just never happy. They're just always complaining about something. Too early, too late, wrong day, no matter what the paperwork said, right? They just always complain. People used to call up and say, yes, you just delivered, you know, 80 boxes. And I'd be like, great. And they'd be like, I don't like the color of the shirts. You know, my mouth is going, well, you know, you have to talk with the warehouse about what's in the boxes. And inside I'm going, you stupid idiot. I don't look what's in the boxes. But what happened to me over years is when I would hear complaining, I would just chalk it up to people being miserable, people having a difficult life, people having a bad day. So I became, if you will, somewhat immune to it, trying to filter out what's, you know, eat the chicken and spit out the bones. So I'd eat the, eat the meat of what was really important and spit out the complaining bones. But you know, not everybody's that way. And after many years of being in the ministry and serving in church leadership and in various capacities, I've actually learned that, and you may not know this, that the unending suggestions and criticisms that most people in the ministry get is really the reason why most of them quit. It's just too much. It's just too much. And some of them are, are, are disguised as, as being very nice and very kind and trying to help you and just not realizing that for people who are unable to put suggestions and criticisms that are constant out of their brain, it begins to wear on them very, very much. I remember one time I was at this thing with Pam and we're at this function and we met this pastor and his wife and we got in the car and we actually put our head down and prayed for the people because we knew that that pastor was about to leave town. You know, I saw one of the leaders of his church shortly after that and I said, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about your pastor. I think that you guys really need to, you know, come alongside him, make sure he's okay. Oh, he's doing great. Oh, he's doing great. We've got all these things we'd like for him to do, right? And, and then sure enough, I saw that brother about two or three months later. And he says, I said, how's your pastor doing? He said, you know, he felt led to do something else. Listen, this guy's a nice guy. The staff here, nice people, not me. I'll tell you, all right? This is, this is why people often leave because it is the burden of complaining. Our society promotes complaining, doesn't it? It promotes it. Normally when I'm in my car, I end up doing a lot of uh, either church business or my other business. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of this, you know, I'm on the, on the phone all the time talking with somebody about this thing or about that thing. But I had one of those days earlier in the week, I just didn't feel like talking to anybody. So I don't know why, but I put on sports radio. One hour of complaining. I mean, people who can't even probably get out of their chair and go get a beer and a pretzel, right? Hey, honey, get me a beer. I'm tired, right? Complaining about some guy who's having trouble hitting a 95-mile-an-hour fastball that's going towards his head. I mean, just come on, come on. 
But our churches, we encourage it too. So many choices for years, shamelessly segregated on the color of people's skin. Shamelessly. And now we're shamelessly segregating on age groups. Terrible. Terrible. We're giving people what they want, it's choices. And then what happens when they outgrow that demographic? They usually end up staying home. Terrible, terrible. And so the Apostle Paul, the Apostles have no problem in the Bible telling people that this type of living, this type of thinking is childish. These are not the marks of a mature Christian and will hinder your ministry because the Lord is constantly growing all of us under imperfect leadership. He's not only growing the leader, but he's growing us. He's not only growing your boss, but he's growing you as a Christian because things, circumstances are never always going to be ideal. And so the Lord wants to teach that to us. I'll give you an example. I was, when I was being raised up in leadership at another church before I was in a pastoral program, I was asked by some of the parking lot guys, there was a couple guys in the parking lot that were a bit of a problem, and they said, hey, would you go out there and see what's going on in the parking lot? So silly me, I go running out there, and the two guys are talking, okay? The people are coming into church, and the two guys in the parking lot are talking. Anybody see a problem with that? What are they supposed to be doing? Parking the cars, okay? So I walk up there, I go, what's going on? A guy, one guy says to me, well, you know what? If I was in charge, I wouldn't do it this way. I said, listen, I don't know much about the parking lot. I'm the new guy on the block here, but I do think at this time when the people are coming in, it might be a better idea to park now, talk later, right? We could actually maybe come up with an idea. You got an idea? You've been out here a long time. No, we're new out here. Well, wait till you're here a while and, and then, you know, approach the leaders and maybe you set up a meeting with them. You can talk about strategy. I'm sure they would love to talk with you about that. But what they don't realize is as they sit there complaining, the leaders are doing what? Watching them complain, complaining they're complaining and they'll never be leaders and their probably great ideas would never be taken seriously, would they? Because of their complaining. This was part of the Lord's testing for them and they failed. Another example, when I uh, was, again, same situation, I was in leadership and, and being raised up with that and there was a guy uh, in a church, in the church, who felt very strongly that he should be an elder. He thought he should be an elder. And I found out, I said, well, what's his situation with being an elder? And they said, uh, he's not on the elder list. I said, okay. And they said, uh, he's not on the short list either. I said, okay. How about the long list? They said, no, he's not on the long list either. I said, is he in the ballpark? They said, no. I said, is he in the parking lot? (laughs) They said, no. Right? So they sent me to go over and talk to this guy. So he's serving in the church as a church grumbler. I mean, a greeter. So, okay. So he's there and he's a, he's a grumbler, a greeter, a greeter, grumbler, grumbler, greeter. If that's you, quit. Okay. So he's, <laughs> he's, he's serving there. And so I run up, I go up to him and I say, um, okay, I'm new here. I'm supposed to figure out what's going on or learn what's going on. Can you tell me what we're supposed to do? And he snaps at me and goes, we're not supposed to talk to people. If I were in charge, we'd be praying with people, talking with people, counseling people, anointing the sick with oil. We'd be, we'd be setting up you know, uh, marriage counseling with people. I go, that's what the elders do up front after church, after the service. We're supposed to be handing out the bulletins, aren't we? And there's people, he's got a crowd. He's got a posse. He's got a little congregation of greeters who want to just greet. They don't want to be grumblers, but they're listening to Pastor Grumbler. And so he's got this little group of people. So I pressed it a little. And I said, uh, well, why? 
Why did they tell you not to have these long conversations with people? And they said, well, they say because it's such a small entrance with a thousand people, a bottleneck will, will come. And I said, well, that kind of actually makes sense, doesn't it? But you know what? Other people would impress him, but instead listen to his venom. So here's a guy, 1 Timothy 3, he desires the office of elder, he desires a good thing, and instead of faithfully serving in the capacity that the Lord gave him, instead of leading by following, he distorted the facts and he killed his ministry. He killed it. And I still know this grumbler to this day. I still know him. And he's been from church to church to church, and no one has recognized his talent for grumbling, for complaining. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.